This is a UC Public Policy Channel program from the Goldman School of Public Policy at UC Berkeley. Visit us at www.uctv.tv/public-policy for more discussion on solutions for the good of all. The topic for today is、uh, legislative advocacy by faith communities, and、um, I I think faith communities in the United States. <laughs> Now, this is a democracy, so it's from the very beginning of the republic,、uh, faith communities have been involved in legislative advocacy. I attend a、uh, 250-year-old church, and one of the first pieces of legislation in the U.S. Congress was a piece of legislation about their tax liabilities. They'd owed taxes to the crown, and now that there was no crown, did they still owe that money to the U.S. government? So I think that's what it was, but. You know, there was discussion about those church-state relationships、uh, for for the first years of the republic, and then、uh, today there are dozens of、uh, at least dozens of、uh, more scores of、uh, either faith communities that have、uh, legislative advocacy programs or Organizations that are closely tied to communities that have those advocacy programs, and they they work on、um, many issues.、Uh, sometimes at cross purposes, but、um, mostly not. I think actually, that's <laughs> so it's sort of comforting. I mean, all coalitions are hard work, but actually、uh, working with other faith groups is relatively easy because. There's a sort of fundamental sense of、uh, unity in what you're doing. So I thought it would be a a good way to learn about the legislative advocacy of、uh, faith communities in America to、uh, focus on one、uh, one faith community, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. They have nine thousand congregations, more than three million members. I'm a I'm an ELCA pastor, so I'm a little biased. But I think they do they、uh, do advocacy、uh, exceptionally well, and、uh, that is partly because of the outstanding leadership of Amy Ruman. The advocacy program. I'll say what I know about. Advocacy is on. There's at least on four fronts. So they have advocacy in the national capital. They maintain advocacy offices in 14 states, including Sac- in Sacramento.、Um, they、um, they have an advocacy office at the United Nations in New York, and then they、uh, participate in shareholder advocacy with U.S. for-profit corporations. And Amy directs all that、um, <laughs> in her spare time. I don't know what she does in her spare time. So she's running all that. And then she was、uh, recently promoted. Her new title is Senior Director for Witness and Society. And as I understand it, you know, she has all of her old responsibilities, but now she has, she has, she shares more of the.、Uh, there's a group of senior leaders who have responsibility for. Uh, overseeing all the social ministries of the church body, and so now Amy is、uh, is part of that governance group. 
She started out as a parish pastor. She worked for um, the Urban Coalition Ministry of the Lutheran Church in Milwaukee. Then she moved to head the state advocacy office in the state of Pennsylvania, and then became the director of advocacy and now the senior director for Witness and Society of the church body. She's a board member of Bread for the World, so I'm used to working for her. She's also a coordinating committee uh, member of the Circle of Protection, so I'm used to being her colleague. And I just learned a, a month or so ago that Amy Ruman is a master gardener. I love that. <laughs> so, Amy, tell us about ELCA advocacy and also just your perspective on the on faith-based advocacy uh, broadly. Sure. Thank you, David. Uh, hi, everyone. I, I'm just as happy to talk about gardening if you want that, David. <laughs> <laughs> Not today. Uh, or I could talk about the connections, what, why gardening is like advocacy, because you have to prepare to wait a long time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Here's my first aside of many when I was um, a new state public policy office director for our denomination in the Pennsylvania office. We were just starting to work on the DREAM Act in Pennsylvania uh, for tuition for um, uh, undocumented students. Um, and, and they passed it in Illinois, where we also had an office. And I called their director and I said, Jennifer, how did, how did you get this legislation passed? And she said, well, Amy, it took 10 years. So, that was, <laughs> um, um, so it's, it's, it's a lot like the kingdom of God. It's a long-term vision um, that, that we need to do. <laughs> Just a few words of introduction. Thank you for your generous um, uh, introduction, uh, David, and the invitation to be here. And I'll be representing my experience of one denomination's faith-based advocacy work uh, in the U.S. Um, I think I know some about many other groups. So if it, whatever background you're coming from uh, may be able to, to touch base with that as well. Um, I'll just start with myself. Um, and I just want to say I come to this work. Um, I'm a lifelong Lutheran. Um, but I was not aware of the faith-based advocacy work that, that our church did for a good part of my life. Um, it wasn't spoken about in the congregation where I grew up. It wasn't emphasized. Um, uh, but it wasn't until I was in college and began, uh, became involved in the 80s and the anti-apartheid uh, movement uh, because of my travels and meeting Lutherans from South Africa and Namibia who were deeply involved in realizing there's something I can do in my country um, to address their suffering um, uh, and to support their struggle. Uh, and finding out my college chaplain um, fully supported it, took us to DC to protest, help us to work on divestment um, with, with, with my college. And I realized that, that there's a place in the church for me in that um, even if there was a time when I wasn't as sure about uh, the, the organized church and traditional faith practices and um, what I thought church was, um, I stayed connected through the back door of social action and advocacy and learned from um, so many mentors um, uh, who were either organizing in their neighborhoods or on the national level or the global level, um, whose faith propelled them into the public sphere. Um, I come from the Lutheran tradition, uh, you know, which 
Martin Luther as a, a Reformation leader, uh, where his, you know, his understanding of God's grace leads him to say to the church and the state, right, same thing of those days, you know, here I stand, I can do no other. Um, and I really think of um, advocacy as our public testimony to who God is, and really a here I stand moments, um, because of God's concern for justice, mm -hmm. because of the experience of my neighbor, um, I'm compelled to speak uh, to, to this right now out of my faith. Um, and so that, um, I think that's invited me to a lifelong vocation, um, whether I've served as a parish pastor in Wisconsin or New Jersey, as David said, directing urban ministries in Milwaukee, or then now coming to our, our denomination's formal advocacy work. Um, uh, a few, just a few words about Lutherans. Um, in the U.S., uh, which is yeah, yeah nine thousand congregations, three and a half million or so so members. Um, but I think what makes us interesting one is our demographics. Um, we are all across the nation. We're particularly dense, as they say in the Midwest and um, uh, <laughs> and and parts of the Northeast. Um, but we we are in uh, we, we run the gamut from very conservative to very liberal. You can be a Lutheran and be one of those. And I think that makes us a lot of faith um, advocacy or advocacy groups. When you're in a denomination, you've got everybody. There's the challenge. I'm not going to say obstacle. There's the challenge of that. You've got folks from different ends of, of the spectrum in one congregation, um, which sometimes causes us to be quiet, you know, and not to engage issues to keep the peace. I don't know if anyone's experienced that where you're from. Um, but it also gives us the amazing potential in an increasingly polarized nation, as, as we all know, where there are few common spaces left where people of different um, ideologies, uh, political takes, uh, theological takes even, talk, can, can come into community with one another. And, and faith groups are still, I think, one of those places. And it's something I am not giving up on is that we can still talk to one another. Um, in fact, I'm leading all of our bishops on Thursday with a group called Braver Angels um, that have a very interesting model about how do you talk across the partisan divide and how do you listen across, um, across it? Because we have a, a pretty unique theology of government. Um, that I wish more Lutherans actually knew about, uh, but that's part of my job is getting that word out, um, which is that I, I would say that while the Reformation, you know, for those who've um, studied that part of Reformation history, some groups came out of it, right, that, that said, you know, people of faith should have nothing to do with government, and we'll remove ourselves from it, you know, Anabaptists and others of those of that time, whereas the, the understanding of you know, church and state in those days for others with that, they were, you know, they were married, um, you know, the, the, they, they were so intertwined that they were one and the same. I would say one thing Luther thought through and has bequeathed to us uh, is this understanding um, that government is a gift from God, uh, that it is a gift that is given for good. Even if we can't see it at the time, we need to hang in there. Um, and it is an, it's an essential way that we serve our neighbor. Uh, and it's it's a very positive uh, uh, understanding of what the governing authorities are and what they should be doing. Um, and they're, the major role being to um, uh, promote peace and restrain evil, as well as to um, care for the vulnerable. Um, and uh, we don't necessarily have a take, should it be large or small? Should it look like this or like that? But is it serving these key 
areas. Um, and so the question by which we evaluate our government is, is our neighbor being served? Of course, then we have to ask how. Um, documents of social teaching that guide how we think about government and that call on the church to make commitments in certain spheres and areas. Um, these are called social uh, statements and social messages. Um, we could spend a whole class on those, David, and I'd be glad to, you know, uh, drop into one or two of them um, with you if we have time later in the classes. But when we advocate as the church, we can't just say, I'm going to do, uh, this is my stance on this because I think it's right. Um, we actually have documents that are based on scripture, uh, our theological interpretation of scripture that are then created by years long study processes and then adopted in our, in our national assemblies that say, here's what we believe about uh, criminal justice. Um, and so here are our guiding principles on criminal justice reform. Here are our guiding principles about um, race. Uh, we have one statement called uh, freedom Christ, race, ethnicity, and culture, which gives us our language around uh, racial justice, racial equity, uh, and, and um, our priorities around that as a church. Um, so we have this for economic life, for healthcare, for education, more things than we can ever possibly work on, right? Um, the core of our work as a denomination is on hunger and poverty. Um, it's in part because um, uh, I would say 99.9% .9 of Lutheran churches, like many, have, have some kind of a hunger ministry. Um, there's some kind of food pantry, some way of serving. Um, it's a way that people often come to understand, oh, we can't just feed our, but we can't just give out canned food to end a hunger crisis in the US, nor can we just, you know, um, do, do that globally. Um, and because we have really robust hunger programs, we raise about uh, $21 million a year uh, through our ELCA World Hunger Program, 70% going outside of this country um, for global projects, uh, addressing hunger, poverty, gender equity, um, peace and reconciliation, um, funding both ch church, but also many non-church organizations that, that are doing this work on the ground. Um, and then the rest staying here, uh, funding uh, both congregational outreach and ministries, uh, refugee resettlement, immigration work, um, as well as our advocacy work. Um, so we have this, this core of, 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 of hunger and poverty, but which we know is just a symptom, right, of greater ills. And so our advocacy is always doing that analysis to say, what, what are the driving causes of hunger in this place? And therefore, that then shapes you know, how and where we work on it. Is, is it housing here? Is it the cost of rent? Is it the evictions crisis that is happening? You know, over here, is it because of destabilization, because of crop failure due to climate change? Um, and we're going to be working with, you know, smallholder farmers, uh, you know, whether it's water and well development or, or um, drought resistant seeds. And so um, all of these things are, are happening around the world and around the church um, that inform our advocacy. Um, our advocacy is informed by what we call accompaniment, um, uh, which is a practice of the church. Uh, it's replacing um, many years ago what I think used to be the model of global mission, um, which is that you know you send a missionary over, whether they're going to dig a well or preach on Sunday or train pastors, um, because that's what you want to send as the sending church. Um, because we work with Lutherans all around the world, um, Accompaniment means hearing what their needs are and what they want us to do and are going to invite us to do. 
um, and then finding the ways with, if it's personnel, uh, if it's funding, if it's supplies, uh, partnering around the world as well as in the US. And it's out of these communities that our advocacy agenda gets shaped because we hear from them what the on the ground the needs are. Um, one example of it is we have several um, churchwide strategies. Uh, one is called AMPARO, uh, which stands for Accompanying Migrant Minor Children's with Advocacy Protection. You, I can send you a link to this. You don't have to write it around. Uh, representation, um, uh, something else, and I'm forgetting the last one. Um, but this came out of our accompanying uh, churches in um, Guatemala, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Honduras for many years. Um, who were watching um, people in their communities leave to try to come to the U.S., um, making it, uh, facing the dangers along the way, uh, either being sent back uh, because they, they couldn't make it, you know, often having suffered tremendously in many different ways, um, or coming to the U.S. and ending up in detention and then being sent back as well. And so I, we had always worked on immigration here this strategy unfolded, you know, as, as the crisis of, of children coming to the southern U.S. border uh, intensified of listening to partners there. Um, a couple of years ago, I went down to Honduras to visit some of our projects um, there and visited um, uh, reception centers for people who had been returned from either U.S. detention or um, from Mexico. Um, almost all young people either fleeing violence, uh, poverty, you know, extreme poverty, um, just looking for, you know, some something um, to to get their life on a on a better footing, um, and so helping to do trauma count. We provide trauma counseling through uh, many centers that are run by Honduran um, uh, agencies and partners, uh, as well as job training and then setting up a micro enterprise. So hopefully people don't have to go home. Um, but as we listen to them um, and walk with those partners there, they inform what we need to be doing in advocacy here with the U.S. government, uh, especially around, uh, you know, U.S. funds that are going towards militarizing uh, the police um, in those communities, uh, you know, which, which sometimes are contributing to the problem, um, as well as for humanitarian aid or climate, uh, climate advocacy. So that's just one example that we try to make sure our advocacy is not... Um, I think one of the challenges of advocacy is that I can be in DC and I'm talking about someone somewhere else. You're speaking for someone. What does it mean to speak with them? Um, and or to just be the on-ramp and to get out of the way. Um, and so uh, we try very much in our, our uh, DC work um, and our state work, and I'll say more about that in a minute, um, to, to be those on-ramps. We don't have to be the ones in the meeting, but we can be the ones to, to, to bring to Congress um, our global leaders. You know, we had leaders from Malawi come on climate change a couple of years ago and, you know, spoke, met, you know, had met several meetings on the Hill that were quite impactful because they were able to talk about what they were seeing in climate change and um, gender equity issues in their country. Um, as David said, as a denomination, um, I think one thing that makes us different than most uh, uh, faith groups or many faith groups on the Hill is that we have state public policy offices. We recognize not all the action takes place in DC, which most people in DC um, don't, don't always uh, um, have that same awareness because I mean, there's so much that's going on here, um, uh, but that we realize so much gets decided at the state level, either because it's kicked down from DC or because um, uh, 
uh, as, as state level decisions being made. And so we have 18 state public policy offices throughout the country, including one in California. They're actually getting ready for their lobby day. I think it's April 19th, could send you information on that. Um, uh, and, and so we work at the state level so we can have people on the ground engaging congregations and bishops and ministries, again, to accompany them, but also to give them opportunities. When's the most timely, um, timely opportunities and impactful ways to speak um, at the state capitol or to, to your uh, legislators or local leaders. We do our federal policy work in DC, our big buckets, um, you know, and I'm, I'm about to wrap up and then um, uh, I could show you some things um, on our website in terms of our policy agenda, but our big buckets are domestic hunger and poverty, as well as criminal justice reform. Um, we have a big emphasis on housing. Um, that's a, a huge driver of um, both a result of poverty and, and a driver of poverty, a real crisis in this country. Um, and so we've tried to develop a, an expertise on that. Again, so many congregations have homeless ministries um, that uh, they understand it. And so we want to find ways also that we're more likely to get people to act. Uh, we have a director for environmental policy, you know, writ large, very focused on climate change, um, also on um, water, rural issues, and uh, tribal concerns. Um, in fact, I just came out right before this a meeting with our, um, our repudiation of the doctrine discovery team uh, for our whole church. Uh, the, the doctrine discovery, are you familiar with it? Yeah. I'm seeing in a US context. I'm only, no, okay. Um, the doctrine discovery was um, the, the papal bull establishing that, you know, any lands that were uh, uh, um, uh, encountered um, uh, not only would belong to, to the European, you know, explorer who discovered them, uh, but that would be Christianized. Um, and that those original, those original habit, inhabitants, um, just by being discovered, you know, could also be converted by, um, by force, um, if necessary. Um, and so many churches have, and faith groups have repudiated that doctrine of discovery, um, saying that's not a doctrine that speaks for us, and are identifying the ways that they've benefited by it, by their land ownership, by resources they have attained, by their treatment of indigenous peoples. Um, and then we have a portion of that that is policy oriented. Um, and so we're working on a variety of bills, including um, uh, one to establish a, a commission on uh, Indian boarding schools, um, to study Indian boarding schools uh, in Congress, and then to see what, what reparations, what actions, what repentance needs to take place um, on that. Um, we have a variety of other bills, um, related to missing and murdered indigenous women and violence and um, healthcare and some other things. So that's, that's part of our repentance is, and that's part of the strategy um, coming out of being informed by members of the church saying, this is something the church needs to tend to. Um, we also work on international hunger, poverty and gender equity. And then we have an immigration um, policy director who again works um, on Amparo and um, a, a broader writ global migration uh, concerns. Um, we also have a United Nations office uh, that focuses on um, uh, issues of gender, um, Middle Eastern concerns, and um, uh, again, global migration is also a, a, a big concern there. And we 
collaborate with global partners there. Um, and then I th and then our, our corporate social responsibility work, realizing we usually think of advocacy as something we do with governments, but corporations, you know, make a lot of big decisions that that impact our lives and that um, uh, can lock people into into poverty or uh, impossible situations. And so, our work uh, through shareholder advocacy and resolutions and helping people learn well, if you're going to invest, um, we create investment screens based on our social teaching. Um, you know, so for example, we have a private prison screen saying our recommendation is not to invest in private prison companies, um, which we did more of a you know, criminal justice mindset that people shouldn't be making money off of incarcerating other people. Um, but now as we watch, we've watched immigrant detention, um, you know, hold a national uh, uh, attention, um, that, that helped draw a whole new flurry of, of awareness to it. It's also been interesting because there's different kinds of advocacy. I, I, there's faith, there's legislative advocacy, and that's the bulk of what I do. But I, but I don't want to detract from there. There's other kinds, um, you know. So one thing we do is we have a guardian angels program where people will accompany migrant children to their court dates, just to be witnesses there, so that there is someone there who is publicly identified um, with being there on behalf of that child who was often there alone without, you know, doesn't speak English um, uh, to be a witness to that. I mean, so that's one thing we do. We have legal teams who work on immigration or have clinics um, days to help with paperwork uh, and other things like that. So there's, I mean, I think there's many ways to advocate. And I, so just getting back to what we were talking about when my throat gave out, um, legislative advocacy isn't for everyone. I mean, I think it should be, but, <laughs> and there's, and there's different levels of it. We'll have a lot of people who will, will send an email alert um, and they'll, they'll click send and maybe they'll, you know, write a change a couple of the lines in the body of the text. You know, we, we would hope, um, you know, and that's an easy, you know, but not very a strenuous thing to do, you know, but there's trying, what we try to do in many of our state office, you know, let's move this many people from just clicking on, I'll send an alert to my member of Congress to making a call or those who've made a call to make a visit. Like what, what's the next step you can get people to do? Um, and so that you're working with people at all different levels. Cause I, I would say many congregations, you may find a few people who are really ready and willing to engage. Then some people are really against it. And then you have a whole body of folks in the middle um, who feel like they don't know enough. And I think, um, one thing I emphasize is you don't need to understand the, the, all the fine points of the policy. Um, what you need to do is testify to your faith. You know, for us as Lutherans, your faith in Christ, um, your experience of your community, uh, your, your own experience of or your observation of, of the suffering that you see going on, and, and that there are solutions. Um, you may not know all the language for it, but I, I think that passion, and when I speak to, you know, offices on the Hill, they remember the people who come and speak with passion. Um, I, I, I did, um, I did hear, uh, I was talking to our, our director for housing policy, um, and he was talking about how they had a practice in our housing coalition, that they would always bring someone an unhoused person, someone who did not have access to housing or who struggled with housing to every Hill meeting that they did. So that they would have someone speaking out of their experience and not just a bunch of, you know, DC wonky types. Um, um, and he talked about it, 
how it often made uncomfortable, it made people uncomfortable that they met with because they didn't fit, you know, the suited up, nicely dressed stereotype of people who are usually in Capitol Hill offices. Um, but they often also then made the breakthroughs. You know, it was, it was their stories that if the staff person then goes to their, you know, their um, member of Congress and says, well, th- they wanted this in the bill, but let me tell you about the guy, you know, you know, and, and tell that story. So, there, you know, there's no one magical way to get people on board. Um, but I really think, you know, if God so loved the world that God gave God's only begotten son, you know, Jesus Christ, um, what, do, what does it mean to worship that God and, to, and then to, to show up for our neighbor? And that shouldn't we be willing to get a little uncomfortable 